This is the Sportable Podcast. Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of the Sportable Podcast. I am your host, Josh Sloan. I am also the volunteer and outreach coordinator with Sportable. I am here with a long-time adaptive sports athlete, long-time um, sportable volunteer and coach, and also, uh, do you do stuff, like, other than, do you help out, like, other than play on the Charlottesville Cardinals, or you just play with them? Yes, um, and the Charlottesville Cardinals is actually um, a very big part of my actual job. Um, I work at a center for independent living um, in Charlottesville called the Independence Resource Center, um, and what we do is we work with people uh, with disabilities and we work with the community so that people with disabilities can uh, live as independently as they would like to live. Um, so we're kind of a, a middle person to help put people in contact with who they need to be with to get their goals done and so they can be successful or as, as successful as they're motivated to be pretty much. Um, so the wheelchair basketball team is um, something that we use as a um, tool to promote and spread uh, awareness about disabled sport um, and disabled advocacy and advocating for people with disabilities and things like that. Um, so I've been working there for 13, 14 years now, I guess. I kind of stopped, stopped counting a little while ago. Um, but, um, but yeah, man, I've been working there for a while, man. I've been blessed that is actually um, tied in with my wheelchair basketball and I've been able to make a living um, slightly off of wheelchair basketball and part, you know, with everything else that I do too. So. Man, that is, that is so cool to hear. I, I actually had no, idea. do you, I didn't, I did not know that. Do you guys um have anything to do with the resources for independent living um, in, in Richmond? Is that like, sounds like they do similar work to you guys. Yeah, we're all tied together. Um, there's a bunch of um, cells or center centers for independent living all over the state. Uh, you know, we're all in contact with each other and things like that. So if we have somebody that's in Richmond that is, you know, gets our number and our information and contacts us and we know that there's, you know, people in Richmond, then we would tell them or reference them to the group in Richmond or, you know, maybe Lynchburg or wherever they may be at. Yeah, totally. Just like if somebody is up in Charlottesville and calls me and wants to know, you know, what kind of stuff we offer to people in Charlottesville. And I'm like, well, you need to call the Charlottesville Cardinals, you know, you need to. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I I met like this really amazing lady and I feel so bad. I don't remember her name who works at the resources for independent living. And, Mm -hmm. um, she's a person with a disability and was born with a disability. I think she has spina bifida, maybe who cares. But, um, anyway, she's a chair user and I uh, met her at like a, kind of like an advocacy thing that I was um, helping speak at and Mm -hmm. come to find out that she decided to go to college to become an architect, to do like, to become like a specialist in like accessible design. Universal design. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I was like, like (laughs) so stoked that there's people locally in Richmond and in Virginia that are like doing the kind of stuff that impact, I don't know, our lives as people with disabilities. Yeah, man. And the crazy thing is with the, you know, if people build it right the first time, then they can stay there for the rest of their lives too. So, you know, as far as that uh, accessible housing and stuff like that goes, we push that a lot too. And we work with you know, architects and people call us up about wanting to get their houses 
looked at to be made accessible and things like that. And we try to put them in contact with the right people and stuff. So yeah, we're really uh, pushing universal design and that's really the way to go for sure. Yeah, absolutely, man. For, for those of you all that don't know what universal design is, um, it is basically a design philosophy with the idea being to make everything as accessible and user-friendly and easy to use for as many people as possible, regardless of their um, mobility issues, regardless of whether they are sighted, whether they can hear, whether they, uh, like anything that might make somebody different from somebody else, the idea behind universal age. design. Age, right. That's a really important one too. Um, yeah, because everybody hopefully lives a long life and gets older and these bodies aren't, you know, made to continue to act like they did when they were 14. So that's, yeah. that's right. Yeah. So sometimes you hear people say tab temporarily able-bodied um, at a certain yeah. point, no matter who you are, if you live long enough, you're probably going to have some kind of mobility or cognitive impairment that you're going to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, that's, that's really interesting. Um, so what have you been doing? I mean, in terms of since all this quarantine stuff started, Oh man, I tell you, um, I spent a lot of time in the gulag playing uh, playing Call of Duty, man. Oh yeah, I've been sitting on the couch snacking and 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 playing a lot of Warzone, um, staying in contact with my friends as much as possible, um, spending a lot of time playing with my son online and things like that. So, um, you know, luckily with today's uh, age and technology, um, it's not too hard to kind of keep in contact, whereas. You know, a lot of these kids wouldn't understand back in the 90s when all you had was a phone. You know, you could pick up a phone that was connected to the wall and you could talk there and that was it. Right. You know? And then you got to hang that up and go about your business. But now, you know, like we're, you know, talking to each other. We can see each other and things like that. So it definitely helps you feel a little bit more connected with people and things like that. Um, I've been eating way too many snacks Man, um, I'd like to say that I've been keeping up with my workouts, but I have not. <laughs> I just pretty much been sitting inside and chilling. So yeah, I think um, I think for those folks that are keeping up with their workouts and and doing all these creative projects and, and being super productive with their kind of downtime during all this, I think that's great. But I also think that it's okay if you're not. I don't think that there should be like a a pressure to be doing anything other than surviving right now to be honest with you right um for sure how old's your son my son is 14 oh that's awesome um does yeah. he play ball too uh yeah he plays basketball yeah well i'm sorry i'm horrible he's 15 <laughs> he plays basketball at 15 uh, plays basketball and football oh, that's um, awesome, he goes to montreal high school um so yeah, he's he's pretty he's doing pretty good, man. He's a ninth grader that got a few months of school shaved off this year. So I bet he's excited about that. That's pretty yeah, man. It's a pretty interesting life story that he's gonna have for the for the rest of his life, you know. Yeah. Like this is pretty much the first thing for a lot of these kids to deal with in their life is really impacting them, you know, for them to really look around and realize what's going on in the rest of the world. So I'm pretty sure this will be remembered for the rest of their lives. I know I'm going to remember it for the rest of mine. So. Yeah, I know, man. I was um, I was on a Zoom call with one of my rugby teammates the other day, and, and we were just talking, like, I mean, this is the craziest thing that I've ever lived through. And I, I just, <laughs> I, you know, in terms of, like, global or national, you know, historical events, I mean, I just can't imagine anything out I mean, this is just nuts, man. It's just absolutely nuts. I right. don't know. And it's, it's a day is, this is, this episode won't come out till 
probably a couple of months from now, but um, it's April 27th right now, so we're what seems like a long time into this. So yeah, I'm definitely going a little crazy. So apologies to the audience if I start to talk like a psycho. Um, well, look, <laughs> I'm ready to get back to regular life for sure, man. Like this becoming the regular, like I don't know, man. I'm sleeping a lot, like way too much. It's I don't know. It's it's wild. I'm I'm ready to get back to the norm. Well, the good news is I forgot to actually introduce you guys. This is Brandon Rush. <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking for a while, and I was like, I don't think I've actually said his name. Um, well, Brandon, um, let's just do this. Why don't you just take me back to when you first started playing adaptive sports and just okay. tell me all about it. Well, we can um, hop in a time machine and go way, way back to 1997. Oh, man. <laughs> so back in uh, July 11th, 1997, um, I had a bicycle accident riding through the woods with a couple of my friends and flipped over and blacked out and broke my T11 vertebrae. Um, so I'm a T11 complete paraplegic. Um, so I went in the hospital, um, had surgery on my back. I have two metal rods in my back. Um, so that happened within like the first week of my accident. And then I went to a children's rehab called KCRC, Kluge's Children's Rehabilitation Center. Um, and um, when I first got there, uh, you know, they do the whole diagnosis of how long you're going to be there. And, you know, they're having all the meetings with your parents that you're not necessarily in and stuff. So my parents come back to me and they tell me that, well, the doctor said there's a chance that you might be in here for up to a year doing rehab and this, that, and the third. Well, this was the summer before my ninth grade year of high school. Um, so I was kind of in a whole transitional phase altogether. Right. So I was kind of, I was kind of blessed in the situation to, to be moving everything. I'm meeting new friends that only know me as being in a wheelchair and things like that. Um, so, you know, it's a, a whole transition phase. So I'm in the hospital and they tell me that it's going to be about, you know, a year maybe worth of rehab before I get out. And I got out and probably, late August, um, early September. I got out in time to start uh, my ninth grade year um, without missing enough time to have failed. So I had a pretty quick turnaround. Um, I worked pretty hard to get in and out. Um, That's great, man. I, yeah, I mean, you know, it's not really something to really, I guess, brag about because um, I really wasn't doing it for myself. Um, I was doing it more so for, you know, my parents and my family, like, you know, you kind of get tired of people having to come see you in the hospital and stuff. And then people are all upset because you're, you know, laying in the hospital bed. So you kind of want to bounce back as quick as possible. Well, I did. No, totally. Um, so, but I mean, I also don't think you should, um, I don't think you should downplay the hard work that, you know, you did as well, because I think, I mean, I had my spinal cord injury uh, when I was 24. And, and even, even at that age, there's a tendency when you're younger. And I mean, I think definitely when you were your age, you know, coming into ninth grade for, you know, you to feel like, you know, you're not, you, I was, I had a few years of being an independent adult to kind of know what it's like to be independent. So I knew what I wanted to get back to. I think it can be really, you know, that's a big mental leap you had to make as a 14 year old to be like, I want to be an independent 14 year old. I mean, there's not that many 14 year olds in the world, able-bodied or not they care about being independent, you know, they don't even care about making their own breakfast. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the wild thing is when I look at it, like when I, I was 14, when I had my, my accident, I hadn't experienced a lot of things in my life. You know what I'm saying? Like as far as, you know, sex, 
you know, dating, like being out in the world and, you know, actually living. I was a 14 year old that lived in the country. You know what I'm saying? I didn't have access to a lot of the things the kids have in the city, you know, so I was ready to try to get my, my independence anyway, at that point, you know, yeah. um, I see I'm going to high schools. So I'm going from being in the country, you know, elementary school, middle school, both of them being deep in the country to now I'm going to high school in the city, you know what I'm saying? So I was ready for that either way around. So I wasn't trying to hold up anything to try to, to get to that experience. So I was, I was ready to go. So you're, you're, you've adjusted, you're out of rehab. Um, you're new to the chair, you're new to the, um, you know, having a disability and you're in ninth grade. Yep. Yep. And, um, so after I got out of, um, well, while I was in rehab, the Charlottesville Cardinals came to the rehabilitation center and they actually did a demonstration and brought wheelchairs where, um, they gave everybody opportunity to play basketball. I'm sitting there in my room and they say, Hey Brandon, you want to come play basketball? I said, yeah, sure. So I got up, you know, we went to the gym. And there they were in these sports chairs that I'd never tried out before. They're moving around faster than I'd ever seen a wheelchair move around before. Um, and they were hitting shots that I'd been trying to hit, you know, since I'd been there, you know, sure. like with ease. Because, you know, I'd been in and out of the gym and I would pick up a basketball and throw it up at the rim every now and again. So, you know, I knew how hard it was. Um, and during the time I had on, you know, my hard turtle shell brace and things like that. So when they showed up, that also motivated me to want to, you know, do something with myself as far as um, playing sports goes, because I knew I had an outlet there that I could play. Um, so, you know, that helped me, um, help, help motivated me, helped motivate me a whole lot. So I was lucky. And then did you just continue, you just start practicing with them once you got home? Yeah, I um, got out. Um, and then once I got cleared by the doctors, um, which was in October, November-ish, um, they cleared me to start practicing. So I showed up at practice after school one day and um, said, hey, I want to play. And I was like, all right, well, come on. So they had to assign me to somebody. So everybody was looking around, hey, there's this kid that's going to show up. Who's going to, you know, pretty much watch after this kid? And I was like, uh, I don't know. Uh, so there was a guy named Rick Shifflett. Um, and Rick passed a couple years ago. And um, Rick actually, you know, took care of me and started driving me around in places and looked out for me when I was a, a young kid. So I was a 14 year old playing on <clears throat> an adult, adult wheelchair basketball team. Um, so, you know, that also helped motivate me through school to try to keep my grades at least good enough that, you know, I wouldn't get yelled at and they try to take wheelchair basketball from me. Right. Um, so I, you know, did good enough to graduate on time. I wasn't a scholar student. I'm not going to say that at all. Um, but I did good enough to be able to play and, um, I was lucky that I, I could do that. Um, so I played through high school. Um, growing up, um, my teachers, um, especially my PE teachers, um, they always had an uh, emphasis on physical education, and they were really strong about, um, about being physically active. Um, in elementary school, I had a teacher named Miss Holland. And Miss Holland, I see her like she was one of those great teachers that you were lucky to have that would actually follow you through school. So I had her in elementary school and then she actually caught back up with me again in high school. Um, and then she actually taught my, my younger brother um, and my younger brother is friends with her son. So, you know, we go 
way back. Um, awesome. But she put an emphasis on, you know, being physically active. Um, and there was times when she would have us running around the soccer field doing seven and a half laps to make up for that one mile that we had to do. We're just out there trucking through grass and stuff. And, you know, she was on us, making sure that we were doing the best that we could. And that stuck with us. And then in middle school, there was um, a man named Mr. Fleming. And Mr. Fleming was, he was about six, five, six, six. But, you know, when you're 13, 12, you're looking up at him and he looks like he's seven, nine. Right. Uh, he was just this tall lumbering man. And he would, um, and he would, he would be rough on us, man, but he was fair every time, you know, he just wanted us to do right and, 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 and play the right way and learn to play the games the right way. So luckily I had that type of foundation. So when I, you know, got an opportunity to play wheelchair basketball, my first thing was, let me see who's going to be the weakest link and I'm going to start there. Um, so I found the person that I thought was the lowest on the totem pole and I tried to work as hard as I could. And then I just started to work my way up the ladder person by person by person by person. And, and also, you know, other than working hard, just the dedication to stick around. Um, I've been with this team since then, and I still play with them now. So um, just the history that I have has, you know, followed me in the captain position now um, just from being around for so long. So, you know, just hard work and stuff. And wheelchair basketball has afforded me um, a pretty decent lifestyle. Um, I know a lot of people that actually travel across seas to make as much money that I make doing what I do also um, is I've been lucky enough that, you know, I have a, a great friend and boss and Tom Vandiver um, that has given me an opportunity to um, not only play wheelchair basketball for this whole town, but be a disability advocate um, in everyday life. He's taught me just about everything there is to know about, you know, uh, accessibility and, and, you know, even how to conduct yourself out in public when you're around people that aren't educated. Yeah. on what might be the right or wrong way to even talk to you, let alone have their store set up for you to be able to navigate around it. That's right. <clears throat> so, so, you know, I've been, I've been blessed in so many ways, man. A lot of people have accidents and things and end up in a wheelchair, whatever it may be. And that they're just, woe is me and so upset, but I've been lucky to be surrounded by great positive people and I've had a pretty decent run at it. So it's been pretty cool. That's awesome, man. Well, you brought up something that I think is actually a pretty good transition to the next thing I want to talk about, which is as a young kid, you were so influenced by, you know, these great gym teachers that you had, these, these adults that supported you in terms of your physical activity and stuff. So um, I think, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that you've been like that kind of a mentor to, at this point, dozens of sportable athletes, because how long, how many years have you been um, helping out, like as a volunteer assistant coach with the uh, sportable spokes, which is our youth wheelchair basketball team? Um, I think I started in 2015, maybe, um, is when I first started volunteering. Um, and yeah, I've been volunteering ever since, man. And it's been a lot of fun. It's been, um, yeah, I hope so. You know, I hope going back to what you said, I, I hope I've been that type of influence on, on at least a handful of these kids, man. Um, they definitely have given me the motivation to continue to even want to play the sport. <clears throat> um, I mean, there's been seasons when I've had um, rosters that have been less than, um, less than, you know, what I would like them to be, you know, like being in tournaments, having to work a lot harder than, than, you know, one of the hard, 
want to work will make you question, why am I even here doing this sometimes? Right. You know? um, and even to this day, there's times when I'm playing against teams where I'm thinking to myself, why am I even out here doing this? But in the back of my head, all I can think about that, all I can go back to is try to set example for the kids, like try to keep it up and try to keep on moving so that while you're at practice, you can try to demonstrate these things for the kids. Or if the kids are at the tournaments that you're at, that they're watching you play, you can try to set a good example for the kids. So the kids really give me a reason and a good motivation to really even be out there anymore for real. Like, as far as my, my career goes as playing, I've accomplished probably as much as I'm going to accomplish. Um, and I've done just about everything that I want to do. Um, so at this point, I'm just trying to help a, a couple kids not make a couple of the mistakes that I made. And hopefully they'll have a quicker track to get to where I got 20 years later, I feel like. so. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Um, so you said you started around around 2015. What like? Like what motivated you to, uh, I should clarify for everybody, um, Brandon lives in, in Charlottesville, so for weekly practices of the Spokes, he's driving, what, an hour and a half or so, one way, um, to come down for practice? Yeah, so about an hour. So, I mean, that's a that's a huge commitment. I, I, I think just that drive alone, um, a lot of people wouldn't be willing to do that. So what, you know, what put, like, lit the spark in you to say, like this is going to be a thing that I'm going to start doing and what's helped you stick with it. Like, well, um, it all started with, um, my job working at the center. Um, and you know, Tom started the Charlottesville Cardinals back in 1980. Um, and the Cardinals have been going ever since then. So he's, um, a big hub and a big resource as far as wheelchair basketball goes in central Virginia and throughout Virginia. Um, so when Sportable decided they were going to have a junior team, um, Tom was one of the first people that they they contacted and asked him if he wanted to be a coach. Um, and Tom said, yeah, I'll help y'all out. And then Tom said, hey, Brandon, you want to help me out? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, what's going on, Tom? He's like, well, there's a team of some kids. And as soon as he said kids, I said, sure, I'm in. So, you know, we – started driving back and forth and started playing and coaching and helping out the kids and and the rest has been history man and um like I said man they've been a, a big motivation for me man I every time I see them every time I play with them every time I'm around them man they always seem to amaze me in one way or, the, or another um regardless if it's them playing the game or them coming up with some type of nickname for me you know it's just something that always makes me smile one way or the other so they got some nicknames for you yeah, man, I have this one little girl um, named Christina that she actually calls me grandpa. Oh, man. So I, <laughs> so I started calling her my granddaughter. Um, so that's that's pretty funny. Um, so that makes me laugh, and she's really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And a lot of these kids that you, you were coaching, now you play against, right? Because they've aged out, and now they're playing on adult teams, and so you're playing yeah. with or against them these days, right? Oh, yeah, man. Um a few of them are moved on and went to college. Um, Ignacio's down in Alabama, and and Josiah is up in Edinburgh, and then um, Corrales. I mean, he was on the junior team, but he played with the Sportable program, and he's out in Whitewater. So I keep in contact with him, and I kind of, you know, he went from being a kid to like my my brother now. So he is he's definitely like 
passing me on the the upper echelon of wheelchair basketball as hard as he's working. So it's it's cool to see that type of stuff. Um, and yeah, man, watching the kids grow up and seeing them go on to be successful is, is super cool. And you know, feeling like you know I had a very teeny, 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 teeny part in that motivation. You know, is is super cool too. And that's where I get greedy. That's what I do it for right there. So you know, it's totally selfish reasons at times, and I'll admit that wholeheartedly. Um, but the selfish reasons is also in turn hand in hand for the kids too. So no, of course, man. I mean. But the bottom line is you're helping people. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if people want to call it selfish or not, which I don't think it is, but you know. Um, so do you find that through your work, you're able to have these like, like similar kinds of experiences? Like, I, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear more about some of the cool stuff that, that you guys are doing at the SIL. Yeah, man. Um, we really use the wheelchair basketball as a tool. Um, so we're out in the community. Um, in schools um, for disability awareness days and disability awareness weeks and things like that. So we're in from elementary school all the way up through colleges um, and we're in and out. We'll go in at 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning and then we'll see every gym class throughout that day. Um, and the way a lot of the scheduling is, is they have, I guess, what's called block scheduling. So they'll have one group of classes on one day, then another group on another day. So we'll actually end up spending two days in these schools. So we'll get a chance to be around these kids and, and you know, give them an opportunity to play wheelchair basketball. <clears throat> because a big thing that we also try to get across is that the disabled community is the one minority that anybody can join. Um, it, you know, unfortunately, things happen. Um, and I'd like to tell these kids, straight up to their face that I was walking around just like you until I was 14, you know? Um, but just because I had my accident, it doesn't mean I stopped wanting to be physically active and it doesn't change me as an individual um, for the worst. It's changed me for the better. Um, a lot of people like to look at the situation and try to find a lot of the negatives wrapped up in it. Um, but when you really sit down and look at, you know, what's going on, you can take a lot of those negatives and turn them into positives. Um, so we spend a lot of time in and out of schools um, trying to get that point across to the kids that, you know, unfortunate things happen, you know, just keep on going and keep on trucking and uh, make the best of spilled milk. Um, yeah, for sure, man. But, you know, outside of that, you know, it's just trying to help people with, you know, accessibility issues and trying to, make the world a more accessible place for us to move around, you know, more so educate than, you know, debate and then, you know, not to argue as much and realize that sometimes you just got to speak your piece and hopefully it'll set in. And, you know, if you have to, then, you know, you can create a lawsuit, you know, there's other ways to go if yeah. things are bad enough, you know, right. so, so, you know, it's always, um, I kind of lost track of the question. Oh, no, you're fine, man. Don't worry about it. Um, I was actually going to say, we, we do the exact, like, almost the exact same stuff uh, with schools. Sportable does. I, I kind of had that stuff up for us. Um, and and it, it is, you're right. It, it's it's great just to give, I mean, you just, just to get to be, like, be in front of some of these kids just to, like, let them see that you're just, like, a normal person. And, right. like, and to let them really understand, like, you know, I say a normal person, and understand that that doesn't really mean anything like there's no such thing as mm -hmm. one kind of normal and to just kind of have those conversations and and show them 
you know, that I think ultimately, no matter who you are, or what your situation is, or what your ability level or whatever, I mean, you just make a choice whether or not you want to have a good day or a bad day. That's always up to you, you know? Right. Um, and then, of course, like everything, there's levels to it, you know? When you start with the little kids, you know, it goes from, you know, actually educating them about what disability is to exposing them to disability, you know, just having them around somebody with a disability to open their eyes to, hey, look, if you see somebody in a wheelchair, there's no reason to be afraid of them. There's no reason for you to not want to talk to them or anything like that. They're humans just like everyone else. And then, you know, as you get older, then you start to get into the more, you know, in-depth things about having a disability, you know, you know, sex and stuff like that and blah, 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 blah. So it's, you know, seeing the levels of, you know, communicating to people about disabilities is something that I've learned over the years that I never really saw um, or never really expected as a kid before uh, growing up with a disability before I started working in this field. Um, so, you know, like I was saying, you know, just knowing how to talk to different people about things is, is big. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's really important too. And you said something earlier that, you know, knowing how to like to educate people. And, and I think, a lot of times it can be disheartening because you, you can tell somebody how people with disabilities like to be treated or you can try to explain to somebody at a restaurant that, you know, if you just put this tiny little ramp right here, it would make things a lot easier. And whether or not they choose to listen to what you have to say, you know, at, after that conversation, they can't say that they haven't heard it. So, right. so exactly. at the end of the day, that if they still choose not to try to change, you know, they're, they're making a voluntary effort at that point mm -hmm. to just to not be inclusive to not be equitable um so i and think those, do they know there's laws against that yeah <laughs> i think they probably a lot of them probably do they just figure nobody's going to pull the trigger on a lawsuit you know what i mean right right um well look something that i typically like to ask is for folks to tell me just kind of what sportable means to them and I mean, if you want to do that more specific to sportable, or if you just want to talk a bit more about what um, adaptive sports means to you, you've really talked about it a lot already. Um, but I would love to hear um, just kind of what, again, not necessarily just sportable, but what this, you know, this whole adaptive sports world that we live in kind of means to you. Because I think it's something that, you know, from doing this podcast, I've only, you're my fifth, sixth interview or something. And the thing that I've been most surprised by is that everybody's answer to that question is different. And everybody that I've interviewed is, has a disability. The basic question is, is what does sportable mean to you? Or oh, what yeah, does yeah. the adepts? Yeah. Um, I mean, sportable, um, just knowing everything that they do for the adaptive community. I just want to be a part of that. You know, I want to, I want to be a part of, helping mold some of these kids to to be good human beings growing up and productive you know citizens as they get older and i want them to have a feeling of self-worth too um i want them to know that you know they can they can be competitive and there's nothing wrong with being competitive you know there's nothing wrong with wanting to be better than somebody else at a sport you know especially you know if they have a disability you have one too you know this is all level playing field right now so you need to go for it, you know? Right. Um, so, you know, being a part of that means a whole lot to me. Um, just because growing up, I had a, a lot of people help me. Um, I've had a lot of, um, I've had a lot of support over the years. Um, and I've had a lot of 
positive people in my corner. Um, and from being around them growing up and, and having them influence me, um, it kind of helped me see a path um, that's advantageous to not just myself, but another person, even if it's just one. Um, I mean, there's times when we do halftime shows for the UVA men's uh, basketball team. And, you know, we're out there for six or seven minutes and that's it, you know, and there's a crowd of people and deep down inside, I know there's just one person in the crowd that needs to see that, you know? Right. And I'm out there doing it for that one person. And, and then being able to see that as a, a true goal has been something that I've been blessed with. And I've been very lucky to, to have, um, to help as a motivation. Um, as far as, you know, being an advocate for accessibility um, and, and working, doing my outside job outside of basketball, um, just helping people be able to achieve their goals. And it's basically the same as basketball. Just, you know, want to help at least one person. And if one person can get help and they feel like they've accomplished something, then I'm over the moon and on to the next one, you know? So I'm totally just, just want to help people, man. want to. I want to have fun doing it. A lot of times people say, hey, man, you're such a good guy. You're out there coaching the kids and blah, blah, blah. I'm having fun with them kids, man. That's like, right. I'm, That's I'm right. out there having a great time. People don't understand. These kids are helping me stay young in more ways than one. Like, I'm sitting here getting <laughs> lost in their lingo, and then I got to ask them to translate. What what, what, are you, what are you even saying right now sometimes, you know? Oh, yeah. And then on top of that, I'm staying physical, and I'm staying active, and I'm staying active in a positive way, too. Um, so that's right. Know, that all that put together just makes for a happy life. So. Well, listen, man, there's something else that I wanted to um, circle back to because you mentioned it earlier and I didn't want to interrupt you while you, you know, in your train of thought, but you said that you had a, when you were 14, you had a mentor on the basketball team mm -hmm. who drove you around and then it uh, passed a couple of years. So first of all, I just wanted to say that I'm sorry to hear that. That's, oh, that's always a bummer. Yes. Um, but you. I'd love to hear more about that, uh, that relationship that you have with this guy who, you know, again, just kind of took you under his wing. I think that sounds really interesting. Yeah, man. Rick Shiflett, man. He, um, Rick Shiflett, where, where to begin, man? He was, he had a, a past that was somewhat questionable at times and filled with stories that, you know, you would never thought about. He, uh, ran a pool hall for a while in his life. He, uh, worked at 7-Eleven at nighttime, like overnight shifts. So you can imagine the kind of stories that would come out of that. Um, but really, man, he, during the time when I was 14, there wasn't, you know, many GPSs or anything like that in the car. And, you know, cell phones didn't have GPSs on them and things like that. So we actually had to print off directions off MapQuest and things like that. So I was actually riding shotgun with, with Rick everywhere we went. And he actually taught me how to read maps, taught me how to keep from getting lost, taught me what to do when I did get lost, because we did get lost plenty of times. Um, right. And um, he just he just made sure that I got the practices, made sure I got the games. Like he was that person. And I should I should clarify for folks that don't know, he's talking about Brandon's talking about not just driving from like the house to the store. He's talking about driving from Charlottesville to Philadelphia or to because the tournaments we play in. Um, for these adaptive sports, you got to go like out of state most most of the time to to find other teams to play against. Yeah, sorry, man. I just want. 
Oh, no, definitely. Like, for sure. Like, I mean, we would go to Pennsylvania to this place called Johnstown. And I remember distinctly getting Rick turned around more than once. And we went across the Heinz Bridge twice. And after the second time we went across the Heinz Bridge, he just took the directions from me and said, let me look at him. But he gave me that opportunity, (laughs) though. And he just drove and drove, you know, and um, and he was um, he was an acquired taste, though, man. He didn't get along with everybody. Um, but when he did get along with you, you definitely knew it, man. Um, he was he was a, he was a good old dude, man. He um, he was actually an AB um, that started off volunteering with the Charlottesville Cardinals. And then as he got gotcha. older, um, he has gout in his foot. And so he couldn't run around and stuff. So he got classified classified because of that. And he would just practice and every once in a while he'd get in the game for about two minutes and then go out or whatever but right but um but yeah man he was um he was a he was a heck of a man man he um like i said man he didn't have to take me under his wings at all man he didn't have to do any of the stuff that he was doing for me um i felt like you know looking back at it i'm pretty sure i kept him from going out a lot of the nights when he wanted to go out because i'm sitting in the room with him and he has to look out for me um so yeah, yeah. It was nothing but mad respect for Rick. And I actually, I mean, I didn't physically ad- adopt him, adopt him, but we would travel and I would tell people that he was my uncle. And I would be like, yeah, man, this is my uncle, Rick. You know, and they'd be like, your uncle? And they'd look at me all weird because he was a white guy. Um, and he yeah. had a bald head and he had like the horseshoe with the hair. And he had these right. eyebrows right. or whatever. So we was exact opposites from each other. So we'd go check in the hotels or whatever. And but yeah, it's my uncle. Like, what? Really? I'm like, yeah, man, blood relative. They're like, what? Blood? I'm like, yeah. So, but yeah, <laughs> man, we traveled all over the place, man. Went to Toronto several times. And, but yeah, man, uh, R.I.P. Rick, man. He's a good guy. Yeah. Let's see. I got a couple more, couple more things to talk about with you. I know you know you're you're more of a volunteer coach yourself, but mm-hmm. um, I'm interested. Is there is there any other like coaches or volunteers around that you want to highlight that you think really do a great job for Sportable? Um, anything like that? Anybody you could think of? Oh man, off the top, the first thing that comes to mind is um, Forrest. As far as the wheelchair basketball thing is going, man, that's been my right hand man, you know, like, and watching the maturation of him as a wheelchair basketball coach and even as a player, he's a heck of a player too because he hoops with us in practice. And man, he can ball. Um, But Forrest, man, he is that guy, man. Like, he literally is a brother to me. And, um, and watching him grow and, and learn about the game of wheelchair basketball and actually want to be. Um, one of them people to learn the proper way to learn about wheelchair basketball and the proper way on how to, to try to teach people how to play. Um, there's not a lot of people out there like him um, anymore. Um, so the, he's the first person that comes right off top. Um, second um, is Hunter, you know, the, the big boss, man. Yeah. Um, Hunter Lehman, he is whew, like watching him speak, being around him, feeling his energy. Um, he's another person that definitely motivates me to try to be a good person and do the right thing out there for sure. Um, and, um, let's see. And those are the two right off the top that, uh, I feel like are, you know, as far as me individually has helped me the most, you know, with, with sport. Yeah, absolutely. And being a, a volunteer and being comfortable and things like that. So. Yeah, I should I should clarify. Uh, Hunter Lehman's our executive director. In case you don't know, you probably do if you're listening to this. Big balls. And then uh, the big boss. Yeah, and then uh, Forrest is my coworker. He is the um, program manager that runs our wheelchair basketball program, which is uh, I mean quite a bear. It's really three or four programs all wrapped into one between the 
the very little youth team, the little spokes, the youth team, the spokes, and the adult team, the rim riders, and the recreational team. Um, you know, I've, it's it's a bear of a program to run. I've dubbed uh, Forrest the cool coach. Like out of all the, oh, coaches, is he the cool coach? He's the cool coach out of all of us. <laughs> <laughs> man, sure. I thought you were the cool coach, man. Nah, man, nah, man. I'm the old coach. That's me. I'm I'm the grizzly yeah. veteran. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, I mean, you know, so it, I always thought, you know, I think it's important that somebody on the coaching staff, you know, be be like an active player because, you know, I think one thing that you really learn when you get involved in adaptive sports is that wheelchair basketball is not basketball in wheelchairs. It's its own sport. Right. And it's got its own mechanics. Um, like, I mean, if nothing else, chair positioning. Like, you, you know, you just wouldn't know, even if you're a wheelchair user in your everyday life, how important chair positioning is to the game of wheelchair basketball, mm-hmm. um, just like it is in rugby. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I play rugby, so I always want to talk about rugby. I, oh, yeah, definitely. I, I, I try to not on the sky. The similarities yeah. between rugby and, and wheelchair basketball, they're basically one and the same other than putting a basketball in rim, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, so. <laughs> for sure. Um, well, that's awesome, man. Um, we got a couple more minutes left. Um, if there's any other adaptive sports stuff you want to talk about that I haven't hit, um, I am glad to hear it. But otherwise, we can we can switch to my kind of final little question that I like to ask. Well, I mean, other I'm kind of outside of adaptive sports. I would be crazy if I didn't say anything or didn't thank my wonderful and loving parents, um, William and Patricia Rush. They everything man yeah and everything you know so yeah absolutely man no kidding i mean it's i you know especially during the rehab process after a spinal cord injury if you don't have a good support network it's a hard thing and you know you really need family and friends who you know can support you so i'm i'm sure your parents would love you know that you said that for sure (laughs) sure Well, let's shift to something a little lighter. I know everything. Everybody's bored, man. I know you said you've been playing a lot of Call of Duty. Yep. Um, but I like to ask if you, you know, do you have any uh, good uh, movie recommendations, book recommendations, TV series to watch, uh, anything like that, just for people to check out while they're, you know, stuck at home, staying home safe. Um. Let's see. I'm really one of the people that revisits a lot of things and kind of falls asleep looking at something I've already seen. Um, Great. So I I look at a lot of uh, Sopranos. Um, oh yeah. The Wire. Um, and these first two definitely aren't kid friendly. So for all my juniors out there, I'm not recommending that you go look at those if you're watching this. No, definitely not. <laughs> um, but something else that um, I've watched recently is a documentary called Finders Keepers, and it's on Amazon Prime. And for me to go down the road of starting to tell you what this thing is about is for me to tell you too much almost but i will tell you that it's about a person that has had their leg amputated and they want it back now the whole the whole story wrapped around that i don't want to spoil it like that was a vague like explanation of what's going on but there's some good old folk from North Carolina. You know, we know some people from North Carolina. <laughs> and, now, would you say that shows kid friendly, or, or is that more like for the grown ups as well? Let's see, um, I think that's more so for the grown ups too. Um, it has some cool, some pretty, you know, decent language in it. But yeah, yeah, just 
but you yeah, don't need to recommend anything for kids. I just right. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. you know. Um, been watching a lot of South Park. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man. Been looking at that, man. They got tons and tons and tons of episodes. Um, Ninety Day Fiance is my guilty pleasure. Um, oh gosh, I've heard about that one. I've not seen it, but I've heard about it. Oh um, man, I tell you what, man, it's such a train wreck that you know once you start seeing it happen, you got to. It's like, oh, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? Right. Can't look um, away. Yep. Can't look away, man. It's a guilty p- pleasure for sure. Um, let's see here. I've just been revisiting a whole lot of old movies, man. Like, just a lot of old stuff. So, I mean, I don't want to bore everybody with a, a long list of old, worn, torn down, down movies. But my very favorite... My very favorite movie of all time, Pulp Fiction. I could watch that over and there over you go. and over again, no problem. So another one, not for kids, not for definitely kids, a classic, not, but a classic, yeah, for sure. Yep. <laughs> Rob, robbed of the nineteen ninety four Oscar by Forrest Gump. Right. Yep. What yep. a mistake. What an injustice. <laughs> yes. All right. That was another episode of the Sportable Podcast. I am still your host, Josh Sloan. Um, I've been speaking with Brandon Rush, who is a volunteer and uh, assistant coach with the Sportable Spokes, which is our youth basketball team. He also works at the uh, Center for Independent Living in Charlottesville. Brandon, tell me the name again. The Independence Resource Center. The Independence Resource Center. You got they y'all have a website or social media you want to plug or anything? Um, yeah, we have all the social media. We have Facebook. Um, no, we don't have Facebook. We have a website. Um, but if you Google in, uh Independence Resource Center, everything will pop up. Um, we're Googleable. Um, Independence Resource Center, Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, and they'll lead you to our website and all the information you would need. Um, then, you know, we also have the Charlottesville Cardinals uh, wheelchair basketball website, um, cardinalsbasketball.com. Um, we have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. So, you know, sweet regular spiel. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So definitely check that stuff out. Um, also, if you're not already, follow follow us on all the uh, in, on all the social medias at Sportable RVA. You can check our website out, Sportable.org. Um, we would. I know this is a tough time for everybody in terms of the economy, but it's a tough time for nonprofits too. So you know, consider making a donation to Sportable. Consider making a donation to the um, Independent Resource Center. If you guys, you guys a nonprofit? Yes, we are. Yeah, um, uh, you know, we everybody could use it right now, but uh, yeah. Um, otherwise, uh, like and subscribe, rate and review and all that good stuff on whatever you're listening to this on. And um, Brandon, thanks again, man. This was great. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me, man. It was a lot of fun. All right, man. Have a good one. All right, bro. Take it easy. Dibble, 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 dibble